Have you ever met or saw a couple and thought, wow, I want that? But when someone asks you to explain what that is, you can't because it's more of an energy and a vibe, a connection that's hard to find words for, but easy to recognize how special and authentic the connection is between the couple when you see it. I had the privilege to interview that couple. I met Annabelle and Meshach at a podcast networking event and was immediately drawn to their energy. Annabelle and Meshach of the Spooner State are intimacy acclimists and have been together for 20 years. They have cultivated a profound and ever-evolving sacred union rooted in open communication and mutual growth. Their journey has led to a love they affectionately term 1% love, a love adorned with endless supplies of love, connection, intimacy, adventure, fun, and fulfillment. They have a vision to make 1% love a global phenomenon. 1% love is the type of love shared between lovers, which makes people think, how in the world do they seem so in love? How are they so connected and in tune? What must I do to have a love like that? Using their proprietary method, the 1% Lovers Transformation Method, they empower couples to transform their relationships into sacred unions of 1% love within 30 days. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Welcome to The Fire Inside Her, the podcast where we explore the incredible stories of individuals who have discovered their inner fire on their journey to authenticity. I'm your host, Diane Schroeder, and I am so grateful that you are here. All right, we are in for such a treat today because I get to interview my first couple, first of all, which is very exciting, and it's all about love and relationships. So welcome, Annabelle and Meshach, all the way from England. At the time we're recording this, it's 11 p.m. where they're at. So I'm so grateful to have you guys here. How are you doing? So good. We've been excited about this. So yeah, we're really excited to just get into the nitty and gritty of it all. Absolutely. Oh, perfect. So am I. But I always have to do a random icebreaker question. So my icebreaker question for the two of you is, what did you guys do for your first date? Well, we spoke about this the other day. Well, we've had a few iterations. We've been together for nearly 20 years. Thinking about the first date. I'm going to go there with... It was actually McDonald's. Oh, God. <laughs> it was McDonald's. Admittedly, it was McDonald's. I am genuinely embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's honest, though, isn't it, babe? Yeah, it was yeah. McDonald's. We, we were, do not eat McDonald's anymore, but yeah. yes. We were walking down High Street Kensington, which is in West London, and we were going through some stuff in our relationship. It wasn't a very, what's the word? perfectly begun relationship so we had our backs and forths ups and downs and we're walking down high street kensington and we're discussing things and i'm like i've got to tell you something and it was me basically coming clean and saying i'm in love with annabelle and uh we ended up in McDonald's, and it ended up being 
this really monumental time where we were just sitting in McDonald's. It wasn't an official date, but it's very much been a mainstay event as far as our relationship is concerned we've had so many other iconic dates <laughs> but the first date though yes this so, is the yes, first significant the first date. date baby so we've got to be honest with our our beautiful listeners here thank you for <laughs> sharing that you know and no judgment because there are times where i love a mcdonald's cheeseburger it is one of my guilty pleasures and uh-huh. i have an 11 year old and he's addicted to mcdonald's so for a special treat he'll get a big mac and i'll get a cheeseburger and i love that because it's the the beauty in the ordinary right it's not the the big you know gestures sometimes it's the tiny moments that really lay the foundation for a beautiful relationship 100 percent and although annabelle wants to talk about all those the major amazing occasions on which we've we've been on dates that was a real significant it was baby it was i just need to see if the love was real (laughs) oh i get it the first time my now husband told me that he loved me was on a ordinary sunday morning i was getting ready to fly out of town he had just finished hot yoga So he was a sweaty, hot mess. And he stopped by to say goodbye as before I went to the airport. And he's like, and I just got to tell you that I love you. And I was like, oh my God, it was such a beautiful moment that I'll never forget. And, you know, of course we took like a picture to commemorate the moment and we both look like we just rolled out of bed and he just got out of yoga. Yet it's such a special moment. So I get it. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you guys about relationships for multiple reasons. I usually just talk about the journey to authenticity. I've talked about my journey to falling in love and finding true love at almost 50 years old. And to let my listeners know that it's possible, I recently got married at the time of this recording about five weeks ago. So... (laughs) Wow. I'm a newlywed. And I just... I was so intrigued when we met and you talked about the 1%. So before we dive completely into that, I want to know how you guys came up with the secret sauce to help couples connect. So the short answer is blood, sweat, and tears. Um, Mm. (laughs) We have been together, like you said, for 20 years. And in year 10, we had come to, we'd screeched to a halt we were basically not even on separate pages. We were in different novels, in different libraries. We were past the point of masking. You know that point in your relationship where it isn't good. It's not bad yet. Mm. And it's like people ask how you are and it's like, yeah, we're fine. We were not fine. Mm. We had no tools in which to communicate with each other. And I remember being in, we were between houses and I walked into the living room area. I'd just come home from work, which was really fun in juxtaposition. We're both musicians at the time. I was touring me. Our two young sons were home with me, Shaq. Mm. I walked into the living room and it was just like walking into a morgue. It, you could just feel the frost yeah. between us. And we kind of knew that this was going to be it. And yeah. just before that decision, I had to ask myself one question. And that was, do I love him? Thankfully, the answer was yes. But then it became about cultivating. Okay, it was like, okay, if we're staying together, we're both willing, but we don't have any tools. We had to create them. So we looked at how we were communicating, foundation, because we didn't have one anymore. We had to start a new one. We had to look at, okay, what does our relationship now look like past this point? So we used a series of things where we tried, it was all trial and error, And we came up with eight sacred union secrets. And the first one on that list 
was foundation and we poured everything into that because we thought, you know what, we're going to set ourselves up to win. Let's do this properly. What's in our foundation? How we communicate with each other, how we see each other, our expectations of one another, you know, and and that became fun because it meant that we had a blueprint, we had a route which was going to hold us accountable. And and basically the eight straight union secrets, which is literally the sacred source to 1% love, was cultivated in that time of absolute necessity. We had no one to guide us. We had no tools. So we basically, we built it. We built it ourselves. That is so beautiful. I have goosebumps and tears in my eyes thinking about the courage it takes to say, all right, we're 10 years into this when a lot of people I think would be like, "Eh, it's not really what I thought, you know, We yeah. can figure out how to co-parent the kids and, you know, move on our way. But to say, no, we're going to scrape the house. We're going to build a solid foundation. And then we're going to commit to each other. I, My hat's off to that because in the world that I'm familiar with doesn't happen very often. And in my own experience, like, it's too easy to move on. So my next question for that would be, how did you guys agree? Like, was it like a pinky promise? Was it, you know, we're we're in this, we're going to do it? Did you have like a, a boundary or a deadline? Like, all right, we're going to build this foundation and the blueprint, but if it's such and such time, we're still struggling, it could go a different route. Or did you guys mm-hmm. just be like, nope, we're in this, we're doing it? It's a great question. We were just like, let's do this. We were willing. I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, much like you, Diane, it was like there was no one around us. We hadn't seen relationship repair before. It wasn't even a thing because it was like you said, the the sequences, it's not going well. We can't reconcile. Let's break up. But that whole process of repair, that took us to be willing. Misha had to ask himself, I have to ask myself, am I willing to do something about this? And that was it. The will literally got us through it. And it was a foundation of love. It was knowing that we had the love, we didn't have the tools, we loved each other, we didn't like each other. And then once we realised that we did love each other, it was like, okay, what am I willing to do? And it's asking ourselves that question over and over and over again. And in the context of our relationship, you know, we're halfway, if we're harking back to it now, halfway through our relationship at breaking point, we knew each other inside out on so many different levels. In many other ways, we didn't know each other at all because we'd grown so much at that point separately, but we hadn't taken each other with each other, which is where a lot of the breaking points and breakdowns came from because I was was relating to Annabelle retrospectively and she vice versa. So a big thing for me personally was first and foremost, seeing Annabelle in a completely different light. We got together when we were teenagers I was now starting to see, as we started making these discoveries, I started to see, oh, this is a woman. This is not the teenager that I have been viewing on some level. And it's a very, very much a subconscious perspective and viewpoint. I wasn't consciously thinking Annabelle's a teenager, but it was naturally a lens through which I was viewing Annabelle that was coloring my world. And it was really informing how I was conducting myself. And the amazing thing about our particular situation, and I'm sure 99% of other situations akin to this, is I wasn't conducting myself in an unacceptable manner. I wasn't being rude. I wasn't being abusive. But it was more apathetic 
And in addition to that, again, not relating to Annabelle as who she is now, which really massively affected the way I was communicating, the way we were communicating, the lack of intimacy, etc. So that was the first thing, me seeing Annabelle as who she was then in real time, as opposed to relating to her uh, retrospectively. And then the other thing is a real revelation dawned on me. And it was this, Mm. that I don't own Annabelle. She doesn't belong to me. Now, there are two sides to a coin there are certainly two sides to a coin because i've committed myself to her and she to me there is a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. however when i looked at it from a more universal macrocosmic perspective this woman has come to have an adventure here to have a a series of experiences here she came without me and she's going to leave without me in inverted commas And and, and vice versa and that really enabled me to see the value in her beyond what I'd ever seen before and also enabled me to see the value in our relationship because we're together out of sheer choice. There's no shackles on our feet or our hands, arms. We are together out of sheer choice. And that gives us such a strong bandwidth to to, to work towards our visions. So that was something that in those early stages of, of really breaking through were really pivotal for me personally. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And as you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, when you guys met, she was your princess. And over time, she became a queen. And it's seeing her through that lens is beautiful and recognizing that. And I just, I had goosebumps when you said that. I'm reading a book right now. And one of the things it talks about is that we are souls that are here on an earthly journey. We're here for an adventure and we come, you know, whatever anyone believes or doesn't believe, to me, that resonates so powerfully because for everything that you just said, we're our own individuals. And one of the things for me that I discovered finding love later in life, even though I had been in relationships and been married previously, that the grown-up version of me was a very different version. And I was an independent woman and I wanted to remain that. I was very hesitant and resistant of opening myself up for that because I didn't want to become a chameleon and attached to someone in an unhealthy way. So I I wonder if part of your 1%, the, your program, does that address the individuals as well? Because I, I just think... Uh, being in a healthy relationship means you have to be healthy with yourself first. 100%. Nail on the head. We we <sighs> say to everyone, especially all the clients that come away, potentials to anyone, we scream from the rooftops. You can only meet someone as far as you've been able to meet yourself. So that first love that you have, you are the first love of your life. Your 1% mm-hmm. love starts literally within yourself. Mm-hmm. You never stop pouring into yourself. So we believe that we are, like you said, we're two worlds existing alongside each other by choice. Mm-hmm. I'm an entire world with all this adventure, both unknown and unknown. And so is Meshach. And now we're deciding to like orbit each other and rotate at the same time. So that means now in 1% love, it means one, we're doing what we see 99% of people not doing to maintain and nurture and water that. And it means that through every, and one of the premises of 1% love is through every season of yourself, bring your lover along with you. I remember the first time that uh, Misha got offered for a job, music work job offer abroad. And he came to me and he wasn't going to take you because he said, you know, I didn't want to leave you. And at the time, I think we had one son by that point. We've got two sons. Mm -hmm. And I just looked at him and I said, 
absolutely go and have this adventure and come back and tell me about it. Go and expand your world because we are also in our 1% love committed to each other's personal growth. We can't be attached at the hip. We have come into this time and this being separately. We will leave separately. And in the meantime, let's just have a good time. Let's have an adventure. Let's make some beautiful mistakes. Let's make some wonderful discoveries. Like it doesn't stop. And that whole, I think being raised around for both of us, not seeing what it looks like to enjoy a relationship rather than just, you know, be together and sleep in the same bed. That's not what it is. Mm-mm. We want to go out and experience life separately and together and share it and continue to pour into each other whilst we pour into ourselves. But our commitment to our self-work is what powers 1% love. 100%. You shouldn't have to, you know, finding somebody shouldn't be, and we hear a lot of people, you know, I'm now complete. It's like, no, my completed state, which is ever evolving, I'm now going to share that with somebody else who's been able to do that. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, because there's too much onus in, you know, somebody else being the thing that brings you joy. You you cultivate your joy and you share it. That's that's what we believe. Yeah. And that's part of 1% love because a lot of people get into blame. Oh, this person doesn't make me happy. And then when they sit with themselves and realize, actually, we're not happy. Yes, I I cannot agree more. I say this all the time. You can't outrun your work. You can do it for a while and you can't avoid it if you really want that true centered happiness inside. And I don't want to put that pressure on anyone else to make me happy. Like that's that's an inside job and it's it's hard. It's not pretty, it's messy, and you really have to come to terms with all aspects of yourself. But to say that someone's going to complete me and make me happy and be my sun and my moon, absolutely not. I don't want to put that, you know, that's just, it doesn't seem healthy to me. And I tried it for a really long time, to be quite yeah. honest, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> it's two twofold. On one level, it's so much pressure on the other so the other party and there's enough mm-hmm. and then 100% and then on the other hand it's leaving you powerless yes you're putting yourself in a very powerless position if the onus is on them to make you happy it's far more powerful to take full ownership for your happiness your completeness you know mm-hmm. so let me ask you this and i think communication i know that's it's it's very important for all relationships Talk to me a little bit about conflict and how the importance, because this idea, I think this is another myth that we never fight, we always get along. And to me, when I hear that, that's a red flag because disagreements and conflict is part of life. So how do you navigate conflict in your relationship? Gosh, we love this one. Diane, you hit the nail right on the head. 1% love and sacred unions, as we call them, are not free of conflict. The difference we have now in our sacred union is when there's a back and forth, we look at it as an opportunity. So we've done a little bit of a mix and mash. It's an opportunity with the moment that's been presented to look at how we're talking to each other. Does the communication style work? Is this a reoccurring point of contention? And the third thing is our lens of our lover. So. We believe that how you feel about somebody will always come out, even if you don't say it. <laughs> so if Meshach has irritated me and I haven't said it, and he's asking me, you know, where did you put my shoes? And my answer is 
You never know where your things are. I'm looking at him in my subconscious as somebody who is irresponsible, lazy, clumsy, and, and reliant on me for many things. But if I'm looking at him in my lens is somebody who is right standing, who loves me, who's communicative and all the rest of it, then my response is based on that and is let's look for your shoes together. Have you done here? I can ask a series of questions. So it's really important basically to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> and also we now almost have in the back of our minds, there's an excitement about whenever there's a disagreement because now we get yeah. to see who we are in this moment and every disagreement presents a new version of ourselves we practice our sacred union which means when there is a conflict we practice our opportunities it's like right we've got another opportunity to do something different here mm -hmm. another thing that we use which people really always love and, and we love it too is we say that safety words are not just the sex so <laughs> If we're ever getting in a back and forth and it's getting a little bit, the velocity is getting a lot. And we haven't had, we haven't had this in a while, actually, since we put in our safety word. Our safety word is giraffe. It's a word that's completely ridiculous and lets us know, one, it, it takes us out of the heat of the moment. And the rules to giraffe is we have to stop whatever we're doing, but we must revisit it in a different energy. Mm. So it helps us. We set ourselves up again to win so next time we're having a conflict and it is getting too much we'll be like look babe I think we need to have a giraffe moment mm -hmm. then we both because we're committed to each other's personal growth and and practicing intimacy in that moment everyone puts the firearms down we go away and then we come back yeah I mean that is fantastic I think that advice can go beyond relationships I feel like any type of conflict in general, we all need a safe word. And <laughs> it's like, all right, this is too much. I'm going to walk away instead of, you know, going into a dark space where no one's vibing at a high energy. And now you're bringing yourself down to someone else's and nothing good ever happens down there when you're in that, that lower energy. How has your work impacted your boys? Oh, man. That's a great question. That's a wonderful question. <laughs> what would I say? I, I feel that it is, the seed has been sown. The seeds have been sown and they are in the ground and they start to sprout and the roots are starting to form and they're starting to, to spread where they haven't necessarily yet come above the surface. Mm -hmm. We may have seen a slight shoot come, mm. but the, the implications of the impact of what we're doing, I think we're going to see maybe a few years down the line. However, I will say this, that they really have a massive consciousness for mm -hmm. the importance of their mom. Mm -hmm. Our boys, we have two sons. Mm -hmm. They have a massive consciousness for the importance of the woman in their life, the women in their life. They have a massive consciousness of the beautiful I suppose, the dance between the masculine and the feminine, as it were. They may not use those terms, but th I think that just by virtue of the fact that they're observing us and we generally, as, as a species, we learn through observation primarily, right? So mm -hmm. I think that they're, they're starting to pick up those things maybe more on an implicit level. But the reason why we began this, I mean, we began it for a couple of reasons, but one of them is that we wanted to leave a legacy of love yeah. for our offspring mm -hmm. and give them a framework and a blueprint that they could utilize foundationally or fundamentally mm. and then 
once they've established those foundations, then they can tweak as as they see fit. Yeah. Because we didn't have that framework growing up. We didn't have those examples growing up. Mm. So it's a real commission. We have a, a, a sense of commission doing this work because we're all about intergenerational wealth and intergenerational impartations and the like. So yeah. how has it impacted them? I think we're still yet to see the full effects, but there that have been said, some moments. Our, our eldest is 10. He, mm-hmm. he does use the safety word. Mm. Getting really, he, if he gets really emotional, I, I just think we need to giraffe. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, <laughs> that warms. Like when he did that, I was like, okay. Oh, that's so beautiful. I mean, I, I think of that, what being a an example of a healthy relationship is for your children. And I think that with my son, you know, I was a single mom for such a long time and we had a high conflict divorce. So I didn't want him growing up thinking that that's what love looks like or that's what relationships are like. So I commend you for disrupting and breaking the the generational trauma that we've all carried from, you know, generations past to give your children a different option that, you know, this is possible. So thank you for doing that. I just, I commend you for that. How does a normal, because you guys are together, I assume a lot, you work together, you coach together. So how does that work for your business? And how do you guys balance your masculine and feminine energy together? Have this amazing union and be so generous and vulnerable and authentic how does that look? Wow, it's a great question. You have some amazing yeah, questions. Yeah, one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'll go first and then you tag on, then yeah, you'll okay, add cool. anything else. I think what, what we do is we do things, we follow our intuition a lot. We still are quite systematic with doing things on a, a seasonal level. So we'll experiment. So in this more recent season, it's been me doing more of the business enterprise-based stuff. And Annabelle really focusing on the home and focusing on the boys. But also Annabelle needs an outlet. She's very creative. She's very dynamic in that regard. So she needs to be able to express herself creatively. So in this season that we've just undertaken, as it were, she's not been able to have that outlet. So now we've, you know, after reviewing it and analyzing it or whatever you would call it, we've now said, all right, we're going to do things a little bit differently now. So we're going to balance things a little bit more. So I'm with the boys a little bit more, not more than Annabelle necessarily, but more than I have been. I'm doing a bit more housework as it were than I have been. So we just really look at the seasons and we experiment. It's all about experimentation. And we know that because we're on the same team and we're we're heading for this, we're aiming for the same targets. We're not losing anything. We're actually gaining at every juncture in these experimentations. You want to add on to that? No, absolutely. And I was going to say, the main thing that we do to balance out is practice. So talking about this again, like norms at home or what we've seen, we've both grown up in predominantly single parent homes. So we are, you know, we started off making this up. Mm. It was like, okay, or let's just say the man goes out and breadwins and then, you know, the mom stays home. And it's like, there's nobility in all of these roles if they work. But what works for us is, you know, like Mishak had said, there was a season where he was like, I'm going to build a business, you go and sharpen your skills. And then we swap. And even with the work that we do, there's times where Mishak's gone and I'm home with the with the boys and mm-hmm. I'm teaching them manners and maths, which I hate doing and <laughs> doing the house. But then it's like, he's not work shy and we have a friendship. So there's still an element of like, we're two friends 
sharing responsibilities, but I'm very aware of his masculine and he's very aware of my feminine and where mine comes up and where it swaps sometimes. But we are playing with flow and letting things get in where they fit in. And we're seeing what works. We don't allow the outside influence to kind of knock us off what works for us because what works for everyone's sacred union is so separate and, you know, to Mm -hmm. them and unique to them. So we work with what is unique to us in each season. Mm-hmm. So what works for this season is might not work in the next season. And we're open to that. Yeah, We're open to practising that. A key ingredient, I think, of any devoted, self-development-centred individual, if you will, is open-mindedness. You have yeah. to be open-minded and you have to be growth-minded. Fixed mindsets and closed-mindedness are going to keep you stagnant, are going to have you running around in the vicious cycle. It's in this open-mindedness that we've been able to cultivate, thankfully, that we've been able to experience far more, we've been able to elevate to higher heights, and we've been able to just see the possibility and potential in every moment together, Mm. going back to opportunements. We see that actually, if we're having a breakdown, whether it's a minute breakdown or a major breakdown, there's breakthrough on the other side of this. Breakthrough doesn't exist without the breakdown because polarity is a universal principle so if you don't have the breakdowns you're not going to be able to have the breakthrough so that's why we're able through open-mindedness through a growth mindset and through seeing this dichotomy if you will actually there's something on the other side of this we just need to go through it we just need to communicate we need to treat each other as teammates and work towards what our our ultimate vision is Mm. That is such a beautiful answer. Yes, yes. Relationship goals, people. Relationship goals. So, and I, I mean that from a very not like creepy stalker way, but just in a genuine man. You guys are. You can tell you've put in the work, and I love that. So when people hear, at least for me, when I hear sacred union, one of the first things that comes up into my mind is intimacy and you know sex. And so, how does that type of intimacy, not just, you know, emotional intimacy, play into a sacred union because after 20 years, I'm sure it's, you know, up and down and all over the place. Plus, we get older, I'll speak for women, at least in my experience, like things change and that's not always the top of mind. So how have you guys wrapped that into your sacred union? And can you share a little bit about that for my listeners? Yes, certainly. Should I go? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so seasonality plays a part in it as well. There are seasons where we're at it like rabbits still, and then there are seasons where we're relaxed because we know that there are so many aspects to that which constitutes a sacred union of 1% love. There's emotional edification. There's there's mental edification. There's physical fitness. There's finance and all these other things. But as it relates to sex, for us, when we are going through a season where we're we're more active, if you will, it's really about intention. It's about being intentional. Right, baby, what do you want to experience? Because we, we're committed to each other. We're fully grounded and secure in who we are to each other, what we are to each other. Mm-hmm. Right, let's explore, let's experience, let's have an adventure. What does it look like? Mm-hmm. And it's really about coming to each other. We've cultivated a space where we can be vulnerable because we know that we are for each other. So it's just about continually asking questions, getting the answers. All right, cool. Should we go there? Do you want to do that? And then creating an environment where those things can take place. We've created something called the 1% Lovers 
Midnight Menu, and that is a book, if you will, a small book, which contains exercises and activities which are aid in our erotic exploration. So that's role play stuff, that sensual massage and other things. Mm. So we may pull from that resource or we may mm. look at other resources. Yeah, basically, Diane, we get just get a bucket list and tick everything off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what's good is with the intimacy, there's times, and I know a lot of women go through this, particularly with women, our stimulation, in order for us to be physically stimulated, we need the mental stimulation. Sometimes I just want to talk. Sometimes mm. I want to know that you've noticed something that opens heaven's gates for me. So it's about having those conversations right in a bucket list and play. It's like mm. as adults, especially with women, like we should never stop playing, never mm. ever stop playing. And again, it's coming from a space of like, there's a passion fueled delusion of what does it look like for this relationship that I'm intending to be in for a very long time to just be fun sometimes, yes. really fun. Yeah. And we just write stuff down. There's stuff we, like, you know, the list is long. There's a lot of things that we have not tried yet. And just the thought of them being down on paper, I'm like, let's go. That's going to take <laughs> us at least, you know, up to another decade. Mm-hmm. You just keep writing them. I mean, I don't know if your kink is like, eating cheese straws together, just do it. Like, <laughs> get the bucket list out. And talking about just being vulnerable enough to talk about, you know, what you like, what you don't like, share past experiences. Is that those things really invoke that physical intimacy. And also I would say finally that it's very important to craft yourself into someone that you're attracted to. Yes. So mm. love yourself and groom yourself and cater to yourself in a way which enables you to feel attractive because that itself, aurically, if you will, in terms of aura, it's going to show up. Mm. There are times where that, you know, Annabelle will even, when I've been working out or whatever it may be, she'll be, that there's just something different because I, I, I just feel good. I feel like I've done something good for myself and vice versa. Those types of things really help in the, the bedroom, if you will, the sexual or wherever your chosen bedroom is. Exactly. It could be a forest, it could be a taxi, whatever, <laughs> whatever floats your boat, as they say. That's the best, but you just do what you need. Just go for it. Go yeah. for it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Such great advice. Okay. So how can my people find you, people listening? How can they find you? And what exactly is your program that you're releasing in early 24 and all that, all the details? I'll put it all in the show notes, but you know. Amazing. The first thing is, yes, we have a, a method, a unique method that we've crafted based on the eight sacred union secrets mm-hmm. that Annabelle referred to, and it's called the 1% Lovers Transformation Method. So what this method does is it empowers couples to transform their relationships into what we call sacred unions of 1% love. And we do that throughout a 30-day period. So it's a 30-day program or, or the method is based on a 30-day period. With the ultimate transformation system, which is what we're releasing in 2024, that is taking the method as a foundation and we've got a series of different things going on with it. And what we usually do first and foremost is we always advise, we've got a scorecard called the 1% Love Scorecard. So what we do is we advise people taking it. It's a free quiz. It's 20 questions. It takes about five to six minutes. Mm. And it's, uh, it's an assessment based on five key areas. And what you're able to do after taking that quiz is you're able to see what your current results are 
what zone of five zones you, you're, you'll be in. And then you get a series of takeaways that you can immediately implement. So that's a great way to ascertain or analyze where you are mm-hmm. so that you can begin the process of, of generating a sacred union of 1% love. Yeah, that. And we've got uh, our Instagram, which is at yeah. the Spoon Estate. We've got conversations that we have. Um, so you can see us talking candidly as we do often together. Mm-hmm. We've got a few challenges on there, something called the Soul Gazing Challenge, which you'll see where we deepen our physical intimacy by looking into each other's eyes for seven days for anywhere from one minute to five. And we encourage people to evoke their 1% love by joining us in those challenges. Um, we've got our, obviously our podcast, which is called the 1% Lovers Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the main areas that you can kind of keep up with us and the, and the ongoing evolution of us mm-hmm. in our sacred union, which is still going on whilst we're doing this. Fabulous. I have loved this conversation. Oh, you guys nice. are... So inspiring. Thank you for sharing and being so open. And I want to end this gorgeous conversation with a slightly random question. Are you both still in the music industry? And what part of the music industry were you guys in? I'm just curious. <laughs> Great question. Yeah, we're, we're both artists, singers, songwriters, music producers. Uh, so my artist's name is Black Cactus. Yeah, and Mishak mine is, is Mishak, M-E-S-H-A-C-H. He had a cool name, he didn't need to change it. <laughs> um, yeah, we perform live music. Um, we produce, Mishak produces most of the music that we both do. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a writing house called The Gatekeepers as well, where we discuss concepts and we write them together. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we work with other artists providing either writing sessions, providing um, live vocals, so it's all kind of there, and then sometimes we dabble in voiceover. Yeah, and we do a lot of a lot of private gigs as well. So, uh, for instance, quite recently I was in India doing a private gig, and I'm going to the Maldives for New Year's to do a private gig, etc. So those types of things are things that we get up to as well. Yeah, it takes us around the world. Which yeah, is really which is great. amazing. <laughs> you know, I am obsessed with music. I love music. Music is such a huge part of my life of our lives Mm -hmm. I'm completely tone deaf I have no musical (laughs) musicality (laughs) except for maybe a little dancing but I love listening to music and it just is such a a art to me that just touches my soul so it it all tracks it all makes sense that how you guys are and your connection and you know on so many different levels so thank you so much again I'll put everything in the show notes and thank you for what you're doing I love your message I love that you found love it's really important that like we're just passionate about people knowing that it's possible so what you've got on your platform and the love that you have like we're just so happy it warms our heart and congratulations Mm -hmm. again thank you for sharing your time and your listeners with us Mm -hmm. absolutely thank you guys so much Another great conversation. Thank you for giving the valuable gift of your time and listening to the Fire Inside Her podcast. Speaking of value, one of the most common potholes we fall into on the journey to authenticity is not recognizing our value. So I created a workbook. It's all about value. Head on over to thefireinsideher.com slash value to get your free workbook that will help you remember your value. Until next time, my friend.